you can't just speak against something, but you have to offer a positive vision for what you do instead of this negative thing. Like there's something good about connecting with creation through food that grounds us in this digital world that we live in um, because you're taking the stuff of creation, you're making something new of it, which is what God commissions humans to do from the beginning, to take this creation and make something of it. Uh, and then it can be something that not only sustains us, but supports hospitality, provides for the community. There's all these sorts of uh, positive externalities that can come from knowing how to cook and being a good cook. Hello and welcome to What Would Jesus Tech, a podcast where we try to figure out how Jesus would use technology if he lived today. And he used technology back then. He talked about fishing. He cooked fish one time. Um, and, and really, the whole Bible is a story about food. It's a story of a garden with good and bad fruit, of a land of milk and honey, of a body, a body that was buried and risen, but that body buried and risen that we remember in the bread and the cup. A story in scripture of the new heavens and new earth, yes, that come as a feast, like a wedding table. And so the Bible's about food, and yet it's also about food technology. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we have a guest with us. He, His name is Ralph, but you can call him the Hungry Theologian, because that's his YouTube channel, Hungry Theologian. And it's a very unique channel. There is nothing like it. I am pumped to have him with us today because I just I do not know anybody who's thinking very deeply about theology and yet also is like cooking and is like, oh, here's how you can make this. Here's how you can make this dish. And it's just a beautiful blend of two worlds together. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us, Ralph, on this episode of WWJT. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Thanks, man. Uh, so yeah, why don't we jump in just for listeners to get to know you a little bit more. Um, Ralph, why start a YouTube channel about food and theology? Yeah, well, so it, it's really appropriate for me to be on this podcast thinking about technology with you because it was actually trying to think theologically about technology that led me to start this channel about food. So I, I was in campus ministry for a number of years after graduating from college. And just because of my age being sort of the tail end of millennials, then my ministry years spanned that shift from millennials to Gen Z. And I was seeing people who had grown up with smartphones through junior high, high school, uh, and social media, and just a different world than I had grown up in. Um, and realizing that by the time these folks got to college, having grown up on Facebook, on Snapchat, on Instagram, uh, their perspective on relationships, on how they spent their time, on like coming to ministry events that we were organizing, like everything was so different. Um, so that was pretty eye-opening for me that we're in a different world and I don't feel like I've been equipped with the categories to engage with this kind of a world because you know, every generation grows up in a different world than their parents, but I felt like mm -hmm. there was such a different world happening. I mean, th these were people just a few years younger than me, not even my children, but I feel like they were growing up in a different world than I grew up in. Mm -hmm. So I started really trying to think a lot then about how we engage as Christians with technology 
Um, I was very influenced by Jacques Ellul, his book, The Technological Society. Um, at that time, I was thinking pretty negatively about technology. At the same Happens time, being Ellul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think there, there's a lot of truth. I mean, Ellul has significantly shaped my thought about technology. At the same time, I love modern technology. Like I've always loved computers. I've grew up playing tons of video games. Uh, so I had this kind of tension in myself, uh, spent a while in college really into music production. So, you know, into technology in that way. And it just experienced this tension of like, I love technology, but I also feel like technology is really bad for us. And I don't know how to reconcile these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, um, I read uh, Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family, which I think is a super great practical book for families thinking about technology. And he says something, I think it's in his introduction to that book, that you can't just speak against something, but you have to offer a positive vision for what you do instead of this negative thing. And that's sort of what he was trying to do in that book. Uh, which really got me thinking about what's the positive vision for Christian life in a technological society, to, you know, to use that phrase, that I'm offering. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved to cook. I've always loved to eat. And then um, my wife was actually thinking about like the food and faith connections before I was. Um, and really those conversations with her started to get me thinking that, oh, that, like there's something good about connecting with creation through food that grounds us in this digital world that we live in. Um, because you're taking the stuff of creation, you're making something new of it, which is what God commissions humans to do from the beginning, to take this creation and make something of it. Uh, and then it can be something that not only sustains us, but supports hospitality, provides for the community. There's all these sorts of uh, positive externalities that can come from knowing how to cook and being a good cook. So that's what got me doing the YouTube channel, just trying to help people ground themselves in God's creation and think about engaging with God's creation in an intentional way. Um, Especially because I started my YouTube channel right after COVID and you know, every, all of life went digital. And so mm-hmm. we saw, especially early 2020, like the sourdough craze, you know, everyone was getting more into doing some of these more complicated home cooking things. Uh, and so I felt like this is a way for me to help people ground themselves in creation as so much of life is going online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there is a liturgy to eating. I mean, most people today, most Christians were taught, were raised to pray before we eat. Um, and, and it has that almost, uh, sacramental. I won't go that far, but I did hear a professor once, uh, a Mennonite prof, uh, at when I took a religious studies minor at the University of Waterloo say there's three, three sacraments. Um, there's the Lord's Supper, um, there's baptism and there's potluck. Um, and, and it's, you don't want to go that far, but there is something there. And yeah, I'm totally with you on, we can't just critique technology. Um, we can't just condemn technology. We can't just, you know, consume technology. We need to create technology and we need to create food. And I love the idea of food grounding us as well. Um, so, so you started this and you, 
introduce in your videos a theology of food. Um, we don't have time to go into the whole depths of it, but when you think of the theology of food, what do you, what comes to mind, Ralph? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a phrase, um, and I'm going to forget where it comes from. It either comes from Norman Wurzba. He wrote a book called Food and Faith, uh, or it may come from uh, The Supper of the Lamb by Robert Farrar Capon. Those two books have both been hugely influential into my thinking about food. Uh, and one of them writes that uh, food is God's love made edible. And I think there's there's something so true about the way that good food uh, as this sensual experience is a way that we experience God's love for us. I mean, God could have made a world where food doesn't taste so good. You, you know, we could live in a world of just very bland eating, but God made us with taste buds and the richness that we experience through food. Um, and then food is such a communal experience in our lives and throughout scripture. You see food all over the place in Jesus's ministry. He's constantly using meals to do his ministry because there's something so good that happens in relationships over food. And it's, it's almost a mystical experience, just the way that food and being around the table can open us up and can disarm us to, you know, have really significant, meaningful conversations at the table. Uh, and then, of course, you see food in uh, a sacramental and a religious place throughout Scripture. I mean, you have the Lord's Supper, which is an obvious one, uh, but you also have the offerings of the Old Testament where food is involved and either the priest or the lay people are consuming parts of what's being offered to God in the various Levitical offerings. Um, you even mm -hmm. see God using those things to ground the people. Um, and so like in Deuteronomy 12, God tells the people, when you come into the land, you're going to do these sacrifices and you're going to have this meal. And I like to connect that with the movie Ratatouille, where the end of the movie Ratatouille, Anton Ego, the food critic, who's just so negative about everything he eats, he eats this Ratatouille dish and it instantly brings him back to his childhood. And he remembers where he was um, and his mom's love in making this dish for him. And I think that's part of what God is doing in Deuteronomy as he's telling the people, eat this meal when you come into the land that remember that God is the one who brought you into this land. And each time you then do this sacrifice in the future and you eat this meal that goes with the offering in the temple, you're going to remember that God brought you into this land. And that's the reason why you're in this place eating this meal. Hmm. Very cool. Um, you're talking about food in this very meaningful joy giving um, God's love through food. Um, when I think about uh, tech companies, I think about the way that they offer, you know, free food <laughs> in order to get people to keep working. Like, like Joel, the, the normal tech bro approach to food is probably a little bit different. Like I'm not trying to call out uh, Google and their free lunches, but, but, but is it similar? Is it different? Like they try to create healthy meals and that sort of thing, but it feels like it's you, you treat food uh, almost like a car treats oil. You know, you, you it's almost mechanical rather than biological. I mean, so I, I thought it was you that I was talking to recently about uh, going down and visiting uh, one of the big tech campuses. 
but um, just kind of speaking from my own experience, I'd actually say that the food they have on their like tech campus that people are now returning back to work for is actually really, really good. And I think, you know, there's a side note that like these companies are kind of cutting back on those benefits and this like period of austerity that we're going through as economy. But back in the heyday, you'd be, you know, working and then you'd be like, hey, I want some ice cream. And they would be uh, like a high quality creamery there. And then you'd be like, oh, I want some barbecue or what do I want for lunch? And they'd have multiple vendors, like a barbecue vendor, taco vendor. And I'd eat that and it would be so good. And I don't even know if part of it was because it was free. You know, I didn't have to pay for anything. You just go, you walk, you take whatever you want. And it just tasted like, wow, this this is a life that I haven't experienced, right? There's no there's no connotation of, okay, can I afford this? Which can often happen when you go out. It's just like, eat, drink, be merry, right? So they, I don't think intentionally are doing that, but they're doing that with a focus on like, hey, we don't want you as a developer to worry about food. We want you to focus on, building great product. So we're going to take care of that concern about thinking about, Hey, like, Oh, I have to cook or something like that. And they, you know, go even further with laundry and all these other services. So I, I think, um, in some sense, yeah, it's like, okay, you need to get service on your car back to the oil analogy, but it's more like you have a car and someone does all the maintenance for you and you don't have to worry about it. You just know it's there. That's like the goal in like, the big tech uh, world for, you know, developers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to an event at one of the big tech companies once and it was a similar experience where it's just like local produce and they're creating these amazing dishes. And I'm like, I would love to work in this environment where I can eat like this every day. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's interesting and I know there's like a lot that we're not going to get into probably, but it does touch on, that feeling of like, oh, I would love to eat like this every day. And for me, that definitely is something that is like or has been or is still like a struggle of like eating and enjoying like a lot of food, you know, <laughs> like I love to eat. And then, you know, I've gone through like thousands of thousands of diets that well, maybe we'll jump into later. But yeah. Yeah, there's and I and I feel like there's like there's a verse in Proverbs twenty five twenty seven that says, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. And so there's kind of like the overindulgence, the gluttony. And then there's Psalm 104, which is just like, oh man, bread, it's amazing. You know, the oil that you can put dip bread in, wine, it's like wine is made for man's heart to give him give him glory um, or something to that effect. I don't have it right in front of me. Um, so yeah, there, there seems to be this beauty in food. And now when we apply different techniques to food, I guess one of the questions is when we're applying techniques or technology to food production and cultivation and creation, um, are we making it better or worse? Um, so how do we think about technology and shaping food uh, in different directions. What what do you think about that, Ralph? Yeah, well, I think the first thing I would want to notice is that technology applied to food 
happens from the beginning and is in scripture. Um, you know, bread and wine are significant throughout scripture, you know, the old and new testaments. And, you know, you could make an argument that wine could happen naturally if you just left a bunch of grapes on a vine and they just fell and rotted and fermented and, you know, maybe wine naturally occurs, but, but wine as humans make it is a technological process. We're applying these technologies to make wine and bread does not happen naturally at all. Bread is only created by human beings. Uh, so even in these foods that are so fundamental to scripture, I mean, especially bread throughout the old Testament, um, these are foods that are technological. Uh, and you see that, uh, this is part of how God wants his people to sustain themselves is applying technology to creation is developing these techniques for making something of the world that God has made. So I think that's the first thing I'd want to notice is that, um, we can't say that, you know, applying technology to our food is inherently good or bad. Um, because even if we kind of go back to some sort of homestead sustenance farming kind of life, I mean, none of us would do that without any kind of modern technology. I mean, we would all be applying some sort of technology to the way that we're making our food. Uh, so that's just kind of a reality of the world that we live in. Then I think there's another category there where we could talk about highly processed foods in the modern world. Um, but I think I'd want to start with the affirmation of technology as a part of how we eat and as a part of how we make food better than it is initially. It's encouraging to hear because I was almost ready to be in a defensive position to be like, oh, look at all this innovation. But to hear it kind of like affirmed from the foundational point is, is good insight. So thinking about that history, where does where does the negative come in more so? Um, you know, thinking about where we've gotten to in our day to day with fast food, processed food, um, what's missing there? Or is that to be celebrated because it's made things more efficient and made things cheaper and has allowed, you know, if we think about the rise of industrialism, it was kind of necessitated by world wars. And aren't we glad that the good guys won the world war, the second world war, especially when we really started to accelerate all this factory production for the sake of soldiers on the front line. Like that seems to be a good thing that we did for the sake of those soldiers, for the sake of winning the war. You gotta, you gotta eat quick so that you can get back to the, on the battle lines. Um, and, and the technology we're like figuring out how to create all the nutrients within all these little tin packages and cans. Right. So what do you got against that, Ralph? Is there, is there really an issue here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I definitely th want to acknowledge that I have such access to a variety of foods and a variety of fresh foods and high quality foods that is pretty unheard of throughout human history. You know, even thinking about my grandmother who grew up on a farm in the Midwest, like she would not have the access that I, I have a Whole Foods down the street where I can get foods that she would not have imagined being available in an American grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there is something good and beautiful about the access to food we have. And like we talked about what's happening at some of these big tech companies with their uh, food service and the way that they're making something that's so good. Um, 
using local produce, making things that are really delicious and high quality. Um, like there's something very good about that. At the same time, it's not an access that is uh, uniform across the population and certainly not across the world. Um, I experienced this in a more visceral way recently. I just moved across town and in the area I was living, there was an amazing grocery store that's still the grocery store I stop at just because they, it was regularly stocked. The people were super nice, all of that. And it, it had pretty much what I would want to get. Uh, and then the closest grocery store to me is not that Whole Foods. There's a different grocery store that's cl the closest one to my new house. And it is tough to find what I'm looking for in this grocery store. Um, but I'm in a different neighborhood, uh, different, you know, average socioeconomic level in this neighborhood. And so access to the great produce and the same kind of variety and the same kind of availability that I had in the, the previous neighborhood I was in um, just isn't here. Uh, and it's a lot tougher to find those things. And like I... I just see like onions that are past their prime uh, and wonder like, how is this happening <laughs> that, you know, we're able to produce so much, we're able to ship it around in uh, such a sophisticated way to move food uh, across the world. And yet like here I am in this grocery store and there's like rotting onions with flies all around them. And what is going on here? Uh, and then we could talk about like the agriculture itself and our engagement with the land and all of that, that, um, you know, our monoculture way of farming, the like highly industrialized mm -hmm. way we farm, uh, is often depleting the land of its nutrients versus older methods of farming would have rotated different crops because different kinds of crops are pulling certain nutrients from the soil and releasing certain nutrients into the soil. So as you rotate crops over time, if you have years where you let the land lie fallow, then your soil is always going to be nutrient rich. You're not going to need to be adding a lot of other fertilizers or bringing in other things to increase the nutrients in your soil. Uh, and these are all things you can do as a small scale farmer. If you're just a family trying to provide food for yourself or you know, for a few families, you can do that. But to produce food at an industrial scale, uh, to support the system that we've built, um, you know, mm. to, to even provide these onions that unfortunately were rotting in my local grocery store, but just to have that many onions to be across all of these stores. I mean, you have to, uh, you have to do agriculture, act agriculture differently than the, the small scale family farmers. Like we're, we're just not in that world anymore in the way that we want food to be available. Um, and then the last thing I would think about that we can come back to also is how farmers themselves are being alienated from the land in various ways. Um, and I, so I, I think about Albert Borgman, a philosopher of technology, and he talks about something called the device paradigm. And essentially he says that a device is anything that takes this more complex task and makes it happen at the push of a button. And in that you lose something. So his paradigmatic example is a hearth. And before you'd have to go out and chop wood and bring in the wood and then construct the fire in your hearth. And it also provides this focal point for the family to gather around the warmth. 
And when you have central heating, suddenly you don't have all of these tasks. Now, I don't think central heating is bad, but I think what Borgman says is we should acknowledge what we lose when we uh, shift to devices. And so I think about farmers, uh, as, you know, we have industrial agricultural as we have it now, but even the ways that it's shifting with automation and the ways that farmers can just sit in their tractors, you know, scrolling through their social media feed while the, uh, their equipment is just going around the field doing its thing. Uh, and perhaps soon they'll just be sitting at home while their equipment is just out doing its mm-hmm. thing. Uh, it's just such a different experience of farming. It's such a different uh, experience of like the food itself as it's growing. Yeah. So, so yeah, there are several layers there. I think that are issues with our modern food system and the way we use technology. Yeah. I think just a tension that, you know, I'm hearing is like, as we move from hunter gatherer to agricultural to, you know, using some technology like fermentation and preservation, even in that stage, we had like Egypt being the breadbasket of the world. And that led to like cities, right? Because you could have more people in a dense location because people didn't have to like have acres of land to, to sustain themselves. And that's kind of the first shift we saw. And then with industrialization, we kind of kept going up that exponential curve to be like, okay, now it's not just like bread farming or wheat farming. It's like, okay, now we're like creating this whole industrial complex. And in this tension, we've created like the efficiency, like to your point, Andrew, we have canned food and all these things that allowed our populations to explode, which is better than people starving ultimately, but it's not as good as it would have been had we created a system where everyone could have had that fresh food, you know, farm to table type experience. And I think that is definitely where we can go, like kind of to the point that Ralph was making earlier. It's like, you can talk about where we are today in society and, uh, you know, fish farms are doing this to the ecosystem and, uh, you know, all the, because of climate change, we're not allowed to use, um, um, these sort of, uh, additives to the soil because it creates like, um, greenhouse emissions. So like we can talk about all those kind of critical things, but I think ultimately we want to look at like, well, what should we do to make it better? Or what is like the goal and like having that fresh food, having like good quality food, enjoying that food, I think is a noble goal. And I think, that's what like the food tech of the future is trying to do um, or what we should really encourage people in ag tech for agriculture technology or in specifically like food tech with like lab grown meat or cultured meat to think about is like, how do we create that high quality food so that you don't get the trade off of like, Hey, everyone's fed, but, or a lot of people are fed, but the quality is really bad and leads to other medical issues over time. Yeah, I I think like this is where you're right, Joel. We have to think about innovation because we can't unbake the cake of the system we're in. Like, I can't just tell everyone in my neighborhood here to be subsistence farmers in an urban environment. Like, you know, we just don't have the land uh, in the neighborhood I live in for everyone to be able to grow their own food and to produce enough food for their family to live off of and then still afford to pay their rent or their mortgage or, you know, all their other bills. So we can't just kind of 
turn the clock back and undo our cities that we've built and all become hunter gatherers again, or all become subsistence farmers again. Uh, so I think that you're absolutely right. That's where we have to think about how can innovative technology help us to produce food in different ways that it can be fresher and higher quality and better for the environment and better for those who are producing it. Um, that, you know, you don't have to have farm laborers working for, you know, such low pay in such terrible mm. conditions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, interesting, Andrew or Ralph, like, is the answer in the Bible? What does the Bible say about tech, like technology and food or food what, tech specifically? What I'll just say, and I almost want to, I wish I could say this in every single episode. It's why we did a whole episode on like Romans 14 is that like, there are different tiers of categories when it comes to things like this. And I worry of some Christians, maybe in more affluent circumstances, they watch a couple documentaries. They're like, okay, here's the best way to eat food. And then to Ralph's point that he just made, like that's not livable <clears throat> for someone in a lower economic system um and who just doesn't have the money and like even if you look at if you're the type of person who enjoys watching top chef you're probably more affluent like just statistically that's that's correlated there like there is a way and there's a there's this okay farm to table things like that you know having the time to do your own homegrown garden and all that kind of stuff like i think there's a beauty in having your own garden we just planted a tomato plant in our backyard this year like like teaching my kids uh, all about that kind of stuff there's a beauty in that and there's a lot that you can teach through gardening so i think like gardening is virtuous but let's not condemn people who don't have their own garden let's not treat these individual decisions that we make about food um like literally in in romans 14 it pulse paul says that you're gonna have different opinions between christians and be fully convinced in your own mind but do not condemn and judge other christians when they hold to different stances than you so when you show up with a banana that's single wrap plastic wrapped like those exist now where they're literally an individual banana wrapped in plastic. And you're like, what is going on with our society? If that, someone brings that to, you know, you're hanging out with them, like don't condemn them. Like, are, is like, there's more fundamental things than whether or not, not to say that that not, isn't something to discuss, but just create the tears. Um, but that doesn't answer your question, Joel. That just answers, I think a more fundamental question about, the Bible does say that whatever you eat and drink, do it to the Lord, but it also does not, it, it also allows for differences of opinion on this question. Yeah. And I, I think I would also go to thinking about the city in scripture and the city is such a fraught image throughout scripture. I mean, you have cities founded in Genesis on evil and murder and sin and the city is such a negative image throughout much of scripture, you know, from Cain onwards. Uh, and yet you also see Revelation ending up with a city. Uh, it's not a garden, but it's a city. And so there is a redemption of technology, a redemption of human making. Um, and, you know, the things that we make of creation that God isn't trying to just bring us back to the garden but God is trying to bring us forward to this city that's even more glorious than what the garden was. Um, and so I think the city in scripture is a helpful lens to try to think about these things because it, it can go either way. And it, it goes, you know, both directions throughout scripture. You see the cities 
you know, Elul is very negative on cities and just like cities are this representation of evil. Um, but scripture, I, I think, isn't entirely negative on cities. I think in scripture, you also see the redemption of the cities. Um, and you see in some of the Psalms and in Isaiah, this image of uh, the nations flocking to Jerusalem to come and meet the Lord. And, and so there is this affirmation, this redemption of cities that scripture points to. And I think that's part of how we can think about our food system and our food technology is how do we make it more redemptive? Right. So I think this kind of like ties into the struggle I have as, you know, someone working in tech who's living in a city um, and the different, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story of the narrative of the different diets I've gone through. So first, you know, I heard about, okay, like, yeah, the older people, able, right? Hunter gatherers. Um, that's how they ate. So paleo was like a pretty big thing, maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago. So I started with the paleolithic diet, which is to eat how they ate. So you don't eat, you don't eat anything like kind of, um, modern technology. I think, um, it's like meat, um, vegetables, stuff like that. And I think that was good. I, I, it forced me to definitely try and contact local farmers and go through this journey, but living in a city, it was very it's very hard, even like going out to places and eating um, socially. It was, it was hard to stick to that. So, you know, I, I fell off of that fad diet. And then the next one I jumped on was uh, keto. And keto, I think the the point they were kind of making is like to get into a ketogenic diet, your body. And this is like where you start getting into the science of how your body consumes food Um and maybe Andrew, you could probably jump in for things I'm missing out here. But um, instead of burning sugar, your body is going to be burning fat. So you don't go through these like high energy and low energy crashes as you burn through the sugar. Because as your body switches to burning fat, you produce ketones where ketogenic comes from. And that's a much more constant level of energy. So I did have like a higher level of mental clarity. Um, but that was also hard to do, you know, to not eat bread. Uh, that was very hard. Um, I love bread. Oprah loves bread. A lot of people love bread. It's, it's, it's one of those things. So I moved on from that. And then I think the most recent thing I kind of learned about, and it kind of comes back to this, did we introduce, you know, and they're still in this world, did we introduce a negative effect with all our uh, optimization of food into like so there's this book called Wheat Belly, um, which I think was popular. I don't even know. It I, I miss this fad, but it was like the Atkins diet, you know, don't eat um, carbs, similar to keto, but it didn't have that foundation. So that same uh, writer, he actually came out with another book called Super Gut. And Super Gut was basically taking it further to be like, hey, all these people got off of wheat, but it wasn't actually... Um, wheat that was a problem. It was like bad gut bacteria. So now there's this whole science around like understanding gut bacteria, which the more I learn about these things, the more I realize that we actually don't know much about the human body. Like we don't actually fully know how gut system works. And this is like a new area of science and investigation where they can take like stool samples and start diagnosing all that type of stuff. And even if you go one step further, they like take a stool transfer from someone with bad gut bacteria and or from good bacteria to a person with bad, and they actually were relieved of all these symptoms, right? 
so there's this whole understanding of like, okay, the food that we're eating, um, by having this like super processed food, we've lost gut bacteria. We've, we don't eat all these like fibers. And now we've, um, the analogy basically is like your gut bacteria is like a jungle. And in this jungle, we're supposed to have a wild diversity of like monkeys and panthers or whatever. And what we've done is we've basically set off atomic bombs by eating a lot of antibiotics, which destroy uh, gut bacteria. And then we've also like replaced all that with like one bad bacteria. So now let's say you have full of panthers and I'm sorry, I'm rambling here, but if you have uh, all of these like panthers and then you're like, okay, I'm going to start adding good bacteria back in and you add it and the panthers just eat like this new creature, you'll never actually be able to create this new ecosystem. So you kind of have to hit reset and then like um, they're getting, this is why, um, what, uh, what do they call it? The supplements that you take. Well, there's, um, there's tons of different ones. Uh, probiotics. Mm. Yeah. Prebiotics, probiotics. Those are all around like, what is a gut bacteria like feast off of? So the new thing is not just taking one probiotic because you'll eat that and it'll basically just like give you a point, I don't know, one minute improvement to your health. And then it'll just be consumed by the bad bacteria. There's keystone probiotics. And like, basically it gives you a whole ecosystem where they can start like cultivating this whole thing. So there's all this new technology as we really try to figure out, like, how do we live in this modern society, but also make sure people are healthy. The food that we're eating is like good for us. And there's, you know, there's a lot of layers to it. And the last thing I'll just jump into because I don't want to miss this is we had that whole craze of like plant made meat or plant made meat. Yeah. Like with impossible burger or, um, there's a couple other ones. And I think everyone's like, Oh, this is super healthy. And then as we start digesting it more, uh, no pun intended, we understood that like, Hey, there's some negative effects to like these high soy diets and stuff like that. And alternatively, now we're looking at like, yeah, cultured meat, um, where you're actually growing the, the meat cells. So it's like, yeah, Petri dish meat, but it actually like after you've grown it and you compare it to, let's say a piece of steak, they're actually identical because you've, you've grown it. So you wouldn't be able to, your body wouldn't be able to discern potentially. Um, the counter argument is like, well, what about Wagyu beef and all these different beefs? So beef's not that simple to just like grow it. Um, but anyways, there's a lot to dive into there, but I think all of so those have you figured are- it out, Joel, you've gone through all this research. Uh, have you figured yeah, it I out? Like, I've learned, I've learned a lot. I learned how my body works. And I think that's important to, to do for anyone in this journey is like, you know, my wife just found out she's celiac, which is also crazy because now she can't eat gluten. Um, she's allergic to it. So that's like, just completely throws a wrench into like all of this food advice that we could be giving here. You know, your body is going to be unique, you know, and you have to start like understanding that. So I've learned a lot about my body for sure. So Ralph, what should we eat? Well, I think to your point, Joel, the point you're making about the modern diet really lines up with the way Ilul talks about technique and technique having this narrowing effect. Um, And that's what the modern diet has done. Instead of eating such a variety of foods, we just narrow down to just certain kinds of calories, whether it's fast food or like you said, you know, these um, 
plant-based meats, the impossible and all of those things. And then we just have like a high soy, high corn diet. Uh, and it's just this narrowing effect that we try to streamline things so much. What can we just produce mass quantities of focus on one or two crops and get as many calories as we can out of those. And yeah, I mean, I think I felt like what you were saying, Joel, at least part of what you're saying is that it's these varieties of foods that are the best. And even like with the probiotics, you don't want to just have one kind of bacteria in your gut, but it's this whole ecosystem that's actually the healthiest. And, you know, if we're eating yogurt and we're eating fermented foods and we're eating, you know, maybe some healthy grains, like I love sourdough bread. I, I think sourdough bread is great. And for a lot of people with digestive issues with grains, you know, sourdough ends up being much better for them. Uh, you know, we're eating meats, we're eating a variety of fruits and vegetables. Like I think that is the healthiest diet. I had a phase where I was vegan for a while. Um, you know, it was inspired by one of those documentaries where you just get set on this is the one way yeah. to <laughs> live my life now that I've seen this documentary. Uh, and so I had a vegan phase after seeing one of those documentaries and there were a lot of struggles with it. I mean, eating out was harder because, you know, nowadays it's easier to find vegan food, but it, back when I did this, that was harder. Hospitality was harder, like going to people's houses, receiving their hospitality when it's like, Oh, I can only eat the salad and not anything else that you made. Um, and what I've arrived at for myself is just trying to pursue that variety, trying to have different kinds of foods, um, trying to, I mean, I have a young daughter, so I'm trying to also expose her to a variety of foods so that she develops wide tastes. Uh, we go to the farmer's market a lot and are just kind of picking out what looks good. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I'm very hesitant to prescribe like this is the ideal diet. Um, partially because our bodies are all different, but also because our life circumstances are all different. And, you know, we're all interacting with this massively complicated food system in different ways. And so for some of us, you know, going down to Whole Foods and getting, you know, an amazing variety of food is, you know, really easy to do. And for some people, your options are just much more limited, particularly in rural areas. Um, but yeah, I yeah. think I think the variety is really key. Yeah, let, let yeah. me wrap my thoughts in one second, Andrew. Unless you have something you no go go. Say. Okay, so what what I'd say is um, what I've learned really um, it really does hinge on like that super gut book. I think William Davis is the guy who wrote it. But there's actually a device you can buy called the Food Marble Air. It's a different company, A I R E. You blow into it and actually measures the methane or the gases that these bacteria have created in your stomach. And then you, you eat your food and then after it digests, you can blow and you can like see these levels go down. And this used to be like a $300 test that you like buy this bag and you blow into it and you send it to a lab to do the analysis. But now you can like just blow into this device. So that's like another technology that is also enabling us to understand our bodies better. And there's like a lot of people in that space of like tech around understanding like the caloric makeup of your food or the macronutrient makeup of your food, which will allow you to make better decisions. Obviously at this moment, it is like leaning towards more affluent people who can afford it. Even though this air thing isn't that expensive compared to like doing the manual 
healthcare testing. So over time, I think we will have more insights on, you know, how do we get this diverse diet for yourself? Um, and how do you get like a healthy diet? Um, and then the question really, though, that I want to ask Ralph or you, Andrew, is in like the Jetsons world where you would actually be able to, I don't know if it's Jetsons actually, but in this like sci-fi world where you'd be able to push a button and then print food, like 3D printed food, like theoretically we could get to that with um, cell-based meat, cultured meat, where, uh, and this is actually how insulin is made. You take E. coli bacteria, you ingest it to create some sort of substance as it eats food and it creates insulin. So cultured meat, you'd have these stem cells, you'd say, hey, like produce meat and then it produces meat. So eventually you could miniaturize that into a machine and actually like print food that tastes good, that has this like perfect, you know, nutrient makeup for your body, you know, custom for your body. Is that world also off the mark? You know, because now we're going to lose, to your point, cooking food, simmering, you know, bringing that out and that journey if you're just going to print it. Yeah, well, food is more than the actual consumption part. The the creating it is just as important in in some cases. I would say, like, there's these aspects of being human and getting to know your food as you're prepping it that I think is important. Um, like, I would say in general, what Scripture teaches is not a specific diet on what to eat, but Scripture teaches how you ought to eat. It's, it's whatever you eat is what the verse says, whatever you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. So, so it's the how it's your heart behind it. It's, it's, am I receiving this food and eating this food in thanks and gratitude, giving glory to God? Or is this about, you know, engine in my mechanical tank, not treating yourself as biological, spiritual, needing nourishment, needing that camaraderie of cooking together. Like I made salsa. I used to do this more with a friend of mine and like, I miss making salsa because not because it tasted better, though it did taste way better. Um, but also just that, that experience of spending five hours in a kitchen, you know, prepping all of these fresh ingredients, putting them together. And there's, there is beauty in that, that I think is lost. Um, even, even the fishermen, you know, like, and, and that sort of thing too. So, so I do think that there is something that's missed, but it's not to say that it's wrong. It's just to say that you are, you are missing out on something and we need to, that's what we're trying to do in this podcast is try to reflect on the things that we miss out on by the introduction of technique. It's not to say that technique is wrong, but it's to say that when you, so like, even if you did that, that technology thing that you referenced that Joel, do you use that technology? The food, the breathing yeah, thing? You don't use it, right? I used it. I used it. Yeah. Do you, do you use it every day? No, no. So once you, I mean, you, once you like find your baseline, then you should change your diet and then like retest. Okay. See. But then if you've like fixed your diet, you don't need to do it. I just like, there's so many things to test and there's a way of living that like lives for the test rather than lives for enjoyment. And we were made to like, what, what is the first thing that we learn in the catechism? Um, I, some people are like, there's a catechism. It's like, yeah, it's like, we, we got to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, and we enjoy God through food that he made for us. Um, mm. And that's why Ralph can eat meat now because God told Ralph, you can eat bacon. Don't worry, bro. Like you, you can eat bacon now. Andrew Wilson has this great chapter on 
on pigs in his book, God of All Things. Um, he also has another chapter about honey. We could talk about honey. Um, Ralph, I'm going to give you some last words because we're, we're getting close to our time. Um, so I'm just going to kick it to you for you to riff on whatever we're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of a question of what what are you optimizing for? And then is is optimization even the right lens to be approaching things with, you know, mm. like uh, optimization is often the lens we approach everything with when it comes to technology. And then, you know, in a lot of our technologies gone wrong, we're optimizing for the wrong thing. You know, Facebook is about connecting people. But then in the way that they've optimized for engagement, it creates all of these like really harmful effects uh, in t- between friends and in society. Uh, so, you know, that we can think about like, what are you optimizing for? Are you optimizing for like, I'm going to get like the perfect, you know, variety of things into my body. So I will be like the perfect human specimen. Or are you optimizing for the experiences you're having around food, like spending five hours making salsa with your friend. And then, you know, I feel like if you walk that out a little bit is like, is optimization even the right lens or, you know, do I just need to be open to experiencing what God puts in front of me, which might be having McDonald's with a friend because, you know, that's where we are and that's kind of what the circumstances are pointing us to. Uh, But there's still something good that I'm experiencing of God potentially in this highly processed food that's actually terrible for our bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, we need to, we need to give this amazing freedom to each other as Christians, this wonderful freedom to enjoy each our different experiences. Some of us will be convicted to never drink alcohol. Right. And some of us will love a good new England IPA or uh, California red wine, or whatever it is, right? Like, we get these different experiences, and we get to enjoy them. And don't look on your neighbor and condemn them for for food. You can still engage in conversations and try to convince them of your perspective. So if someone's addicted to fast food, or they're not even addicted, they just have fast food for lunch every day at work. And you're just like, hey, let's have a conversation about that. Like, let's think about what what your goals are and what your values are and what you want to cultivate in your life. And does fast food fit with that or not? And as a Christian, what are your goals? What are your values? What are you trying to cultivate in terms of virtue in your life? Does that lean towards efficiency or towards love? Does it lean towards productivity to get more done in a day? Or does it lean more towards friendship and generosity and joy? And that's, that's, I think, what we need to reflect upon rather than getting too much, because I feel like food culture comes with a bunch of condemnation. So maybe that's why I keep hitting that note. Joel, what are you, are you with us? Are you okay with yeah, no, just no, there being this great freedom instead of uh, giving you a direct diet to eat as theologians for the next week? <laughs> yeah, I think it's good. I think, you know, my struggle is like I'm working a lot and then I just want to grab something fast. So I often grab something bad and it's like, so I I yearn for a way to have good quality food, like the people at those big tech companies that like is good for you, but also tastes good. And then, yeah, when I'm not working, I would love to have that aspect of fellowship and like maybe even like cook a meal with someone, even though I'm a horrible cook and my wife would want me to spend more time in the kitchen. So I think like those things in like a balanced perspective of like really asking the heart issue 
of like, you know, what, uh, how does this food relate to you? Like, how are you using it in your life and glorifying God or speaking to others is, is really good way to, a lens to look through it. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. We're going to ask food tech. Would Jesus eat? Yeah. Well, Ralph actually did a diet eating like Jesus. How long did you do that for? Did you eat like Jesus for a week? It was a week. Yeah. <laughs> so you can was... check out, you can check out that video on YouTube. Um, see it all there. It was a good, bad or terrible. How would you summarize it? It was challenging. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Different diet. So go check out, um, the hungry theologian on YouTube. Um, he will post more videos eventually, but he's just been so active in his local church. We were talking before the podcast started, um, which is totally cool, man. Whenever you can come out with videos, I will watch them, even though I might not make all the amazing things that you uh, sometimes uh, suggest in your videos. Um, anywhere else that people can learn about you and follow along with your, your adventures with food. Yeah. For now it's the YouTube channel. Uh, I, you know, eventually maybe there'll be a place for all the half written articles that I have, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I'm going to need a cookbook from you, Ralph. I feel like this is <laughs> the, you know, the, the Bible journey experience, man. Oh, you yeah, put on the yeah. VR headset, you eat Jesus's like food, but in real life, so you taste and feel it, but you see like Jerusalem, it's the future. <laughs> there you go. A quick question. Am I allowed to call myself a theologian? You call yourself a theologian, but you're not a PhD, you know, full-time in an academic setting. Are you allowed to call yourself a theologian? Yes or no, please. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think all of us who are trying to, you know, understand the things of God and how they apply in our everyday lives, I think we're all doing theology. Great. Great. Okay. So I can still call myself a theologian on the website. I, I hesitate because I'm like, I'm not paid full time to be a theologian. Um, it's not my profession, but we're all theologians. We're all ethicists. We're all all that. So uh, anyways, this has been a great episode. Just a ton of fun. I hope you as listeners think differently about food the next time you take a bite. Maybe you're even listening to this while you're eating food and you just mm -hmm. receive it as God's love. Mm, you know? I'm so hungry. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're getting hungry. It's almost lunchtime for us when we're recording this. But thank you for listening to What Would Jesus Tech, encouraging you to use tech to find rest and to glorify God. Take care, everybody. Yeah.